Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Starter is also available as an ebook and as an ad free, unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash the starter. Quentin walked up to the line, looking from left to right, taking it all in. His offense, dressed in practice whites, facing off against the Kraken's defense, dressed in practice blacks. The touchback remained locked in orbit above INF City, making ship time roughly match city time. Noonday sun poured through the practice field dome, which Captain Cheevers had shaded slightly to block the worst of the light and heat. Quentin's short passing game was looking strong, but his deep throw timing just wasn't connecting. The Kraken's defensive line kept generating too much pressure. The left side of the Kraken's offensive line was doing fine. Kiloyoit didn't have much trouble with the pass rush of right defensive end Alexander Michnik. Kilo was in his ninth year as a pro and was the kind of dominant left tackle that every quarterback dreamed of. He was also the alpha male among the hierarchical key. Kilo kept the rest of his kind playing hard. Just inside of Killo was Shodo Thicket, the Kraken's left offensive guard. Shodo was a fantastic football player, but was having some trouble stopping Mayan Ikol, the Kraken's right defensive tackle. On each snap, the two linemen tore into each other with a frenzy that sent black blood flying. In his twelfth year, Mayan was finally coming into his own. If he could battle Shodo to a standstill, push him back, even get pressure on Quentin every fourth or fifth play— it boded well for Mayan's season. Budo Schweck, Quentin's center, seemed flawless at both run and pass blocking. Quentin had no worries that Budo could protect him at all times. On the far right side of the line, offensive tackle Vu Will did battle with left defensive end Ibrahim Khomeini. Ibrahim seemed to have lost a step or two, or maybe didn't play all that hard in practice. At any rate, he only occasionally got past Vuko to lightly touch Quentin's do-not-hit jersey. Between Budo and Vuko, however, lay the real problem. Rookie right guard Shunan Wan. Shunan couldn't stop defensive tackle Mumo Killowee, who seemed to be in Quentin's face before Quentin could even complete a five-step drop and look downfield for a pass. While the violent and ill-tempered Mumo was a star in the making, he shouldn't have been in Quentin's grill on every damn passing play. Shunan Wan couldn't block for crap. He looked a mess. Helmet visor cracked, jersey torn, black blood dribbling down from his upper right forearm, all results of a constant beating at the hands of Mumo Killowee. And this was just practice. What would happen in a real game? Quentin bent behind center. Green 10, hammer out! he shouted down the far left side of the line. At the sound of the word green, heads turned his way. That word meant an audible, Quentin changing the play at the line of scrimmage. Calls of other colors, like blue or red, meant nothing. He called out a color on every play to maintain consistency, so the defense wouldn't know when he switched to play. Green 10, hammer out! Quentin shouted down the right side of the line. His offensive players heard the call, then stared straight ahead once again, ready to run the play. His call of hammer out had changed the play from a deep drop back to a quick pass. 
instead of streaks and post patterns that might go 20 yards deep and take several seconds to run. All receivers switch to predetermined shorter routes, 5-yard hook patterns, inside slants towards the center of the field, or the well-practiced out patterns that took the receivers to the sidelines. No receiver would run a pattern deeper than 5 or 6 yards. He could call an audible like this if he saw the defense was running a linebacker blitz so he could get the pass off before he was sacked. Or he could call it because his offensive line couldn't block the defensive tackles. The audible also changed the assignment of rookie running back Dan Campbell, who was lined up in a single back set behind him. Instead of going out on a pass route, Dan would fake a handoff and help Shunan Wan block the defensive tackle Mumo Killowee. Hut! 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 The offensive and defensive lines smashed together, key and heavy G bodies squeezing out grunts of rage and effort and pain. Quentin stepped back and to the right, stretching the ball out toward Campbell. Campbell raised his left elbow high, left hand on his sternum, right hand at his belt, pinky touching his stomach, thumb pointed out. Quentin stabbed the ball at Dan's belly, then pulled it back at the last second as Dan's arm snapped shut, faking the handoff. Quentin ran one more step away from the line, then planted and turned. He instantly had to jump right to avoid Campbell, who was flying backward, thanks to a hit from the onrushing Mumo Killowee. Last season, the sight of the four-armed, 12-foot-long monster might have made Quentin pause, but such things had now become commonplace. He reacted on pure instinct, shuffling another step right, even as Mumo's long body compressed and gathered, the thing a key would do right before launching for a tackle. In that split-second pause, Quentin saw tight end George Starcher hook up at five yards, just past the end of the line. Starcher instantly saw that Mumo was blocking Quentin's line of sight, so the big tight end shuffled to his left to make a clear passing lane. Quentin saw this, processed it in less time than it takes to blink, and flipped a hard pass at Starcher. The ball had no sooner left Quentin's hands than Mumo Killowee's body violently expanded like a striking snake. An angry, 580-pound snake. He smashed into Quentin, drove him backward into the nanoturf. It was a hard hit, but Mumo hadn't followed, hadn't let his weight land on top of Quentin. Quentin would feel that hit through the next day, for sure, yet for Mumo Killowee, it was just a love tap. Quentin rolled to his feet seeing that Starcher had caught the pass and carried it another five yards before John Tweedy brought him down. Had this been a real game, Starcher's automatic adjustment would have just turned a blown block and a sure sack into a first down. Rick Warburg or Yatara Kobayashi, as good as they were, wouldn't have reacted as fast. Whatever crazy George Starcher had in his head, it was worth the trouble. Momo Killowee! Hokor speakers blared. Did you just hit my quarterback? The key lineman growled something low and nasty. I'm fine, coach, Quentin called up to Hokor's cart. Just a little tickle, that's all. Mumo growled something else, then scuttled back to the defensive side of the line. Quentin's offense ran back to the huddle. Shunan, the rookie right tackle, was the last to arrive, limping along on sore, tired legs leaving a thin trail of black blood in his wake. Quentin shook his head. Just over two weeks away from the first game of the season against the Isis Ice Storm. Unless Shunan Wan started playing better, or unless Coach put someone else in the lineup, 
the first three games were going to be very, very tough. Quentin stepped off the elevator onto deck 18, the touchback's top deck. He'd been up here only once before, during his first tour of the ship after arriving as a rookie. That time, he'd been seeing the sights. This time, he'd been summoned. Summoned by his coach and the team owner to discuss a personnel decision. Quentin had to run down to the key locker room to take a bath and scrub up proper, with hot water and soap. He knew the nanite showers in his quarters technically got him cleaner, but when he bathed in water, he just felt better, more ready for the world. Hokor and Greedock would never know the difference, but it just felt more respectful to clean up the best he could. Greedock was a criminal and a killer, but he was also the team owner. He spent the money needed to find players like Starcher and the Awa twins. Keeping Greedock happy, happy and spending, was as much a part of the game as overcoming racism or eating with the team. In any context that involved pure football, Quentin would go out of his way to show Greedock proper respect. And maybe showing that respect could go a long way toward patching things up with the Blackford Quiff leader. Quentin had even dressed in his best clothes, or tried to, only to realize he didn't even have a suit. A quick call to Masal the Efficient resulted in Pilkey showing up at Quentin's quarters, a sport coat in hand. It fit okay, but was tight in the shoulders and back. Another call, and Masal said he would acquire a new wardrobe. For now, however, Quentin had to make do with the ill-fitting sport coat. He had fixed his hair, he'd shaved, and his body felt relaxed from the key pool's near scalding water. Oh, that reminded him. He had yet to sit down for a meal with the key. The key who ate their food alive. One thing at a time. Maybe making nice with Greedock first, then eating live animals. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Quentin walked into the administration area. Orange walls complemented the white and black carpet. Once again, he took in the furnishings that catered to every species, two each for human, quith leader, sclorno, heavy G, and key. He admired the holographic frame showing 21 years of Kraken's greats, all moving in an endless repeat of some glorious play. He walked past the holo frame of the greatest Kraken of all, no matter where you went in the touchback, the stadium, the Kraken's building, you were never far from a reminder of Bobby Aronik. The holo frame showed the baby-faced quarterback being held aloft by two key linemen. He held the GFL championship trophy high, pumping it up and down so it caught the field lights. His moment of achievement captured forever in computer memory. The image reminded Quentin of Bobby's short career which in turn reminded Quentin of the bombing at the victory parade. Was someone out there really trying to kill him? He put the thought out of his mind. For now, up here in the touchback, he was safe. Quentin left the holo frame behind and walked past doors and desks. Some of the desks had staff. Quith leaders, workers, a few humans. There were even a couple of Sklorno males, the tiny furry creatures nicknamed bedbugs who went insane during the football games when their females soared high to fight for passes 25 feet in the air. Had all of these sentients been here the first time Quentin had visited Deck 18? And why hadn't he seen any of them during his months on the ship? He suddenly realized why, and it embarrassed him. The touchback was a big ship, but not that big. The reason he hadn't seen these staffers was because they weren't allowed to circulate on the player decks. As he passed the staffers, everyone smiled at him or gave their species equivalent of a smile. They were clearly excited to see him up here. The fact that they weren't allowed on the field, on the player decks, it reminded Quentin of the places on McCovey he hadn't been allowed to go because he was an orphan, because he wasn't part of an upstanding church family. Restaurants, clubs, some shops, the decent grocery stores. He hadn't been allowed to set foot in those places. Not until he'd become a football star, anyway. Quentin tried to nod at the stares and smiles. He realized they were looking at him the way he had once looked at the rich churches back on McCovey, the people who enjoyed privilege, prestige, who ate the finest foods while poor children were hung for stealing bread. Well, shuck this. These sentients worked for the same team that he did. He would take it up with Greedock, but later in the season. 
one thing at a time. He reached Tokor's control room and pushed the buzzer next to the door. The door opened, and Quentin walked in. Part of his brain took in this room he'd never seen before. The entire back window looked out onto the practice field 18 decks below. A dozen holo tanks lined the window. Only two were on. One tank showed highlights of a big, heavy-G offensive lineman dressed in a silver, gold, and copper uniform. The other showed a Scalorno in practice whites. Halawa, Quentin realized. A small part of his brain took this in, but the majority of his thoughts centered on the control room's occupants. Coach Hokor, Greedock the Splithead, and Donald Pine. Hokor sat behind a black desk. Greedock sat in a chair off to the side, and Pine was in one of two chairs in front of the desk. Quentin felt a rush of jealousy and annoyance at seeing his blue-skinned teammate, who wore an immaculate suit perfectly tailored to his athletic frame. Quentin felt instantly silly and inadequate in his poorly fitting, borrowed sport coat. Quentin had been called in to talk personnel with the top two people in the Kraken's organization, and yet Pine was already here, giving his opinion before Quentin could. Was Pine making a play for the starting job? No. No, Pine was a mentor, a friend. Quentin had to stop reacting to things with anger. If Pine was here, there was a reason and that reason was probably to help Quentin. Barnes, Greedock said. Have a seat. Nice coat. Quentin felt his face turn red. I just talked to Massal, Greedock said. I appreciate that you are improving your image. It reflects well on the organization. I told him to send your measurements to my tailor. He's the best, you know. I'll pay for it all. Thank you, Greedock, but I'll pay for it. Greedock stared, said nothing. Quentin couldn't make out the owner's mood. Hopefully, he hadn't offended Greedock by turning down the hospitality. Quentin was young, sure, but he'd been around organized crime his whole life. You did not want to be indebted to a sentient like Greedock the Splithead. Not for clothes, not for a flippin' bowl of soup, not for anything. Coach Hokor's upper left pedipalp gestured to the open chair next to Don. Quentin sat. Barnes! Hokor said, We have an opportunity. The regular season starts in just over a week, and we have shortcomings. We have a chance to improve those shortcomings, but we wanted to talk to you about it first. Quentin looked around the room, quickly taking in each face. The first face was the clear, one-eyed, cold stare of Greedock. Nothing to read there, but Quentin knew that Greedock was reading him. Quentin took a quick, deep breath and forced himself to be calm. If Greedock wasn't going to show emotion, Quentin wouldn't either. Coach Hokor's eye swirled with a touch of green, the color of stress, sometimes anxiety. His fur seemed a bit more fluffed than usual. Finally, Quentin looked at Pine. And Pine looked... sad? Corners of his mouth turned down just a bit, eyes soft. Quentin looked back to Hokor. Okay, Coach, what's this opportunity? We have a major issue at right guard, Hokor said. Would you agree? Were they going to buy a free agent right guard? Maybe an all-pro? Quentin fought to keep himself calm. A high-level right guard would solidify the offensive line and give him time to throw the ball. Yes, coach, I would agree. Put yourself in my position, Hokor said. If you were me, what would you do about Shunan Wan? Quentin thought for a moment. 
two weeks into practice, and Shunan hadn't shown significant improvement. He just wasn't good enough. There was no way around it. Sad for the rookie, but that's the way it was. Still, Quentin was the team leader, and if someone had to make a tough decision that benefited the franchise, he would be the one to do it. Shunan is a liability, Quentin said, but we have Akhenata coming back in week four. Week four, Greedock said quietly. We could be 0-3 by then, winless, in last place. Quentin shook his head. Not going to happen, Greedock. We'll win at least one, maybe two. Quentin automatically looked at Pine for confirmation. Don just raised his eyebrows, then dropped them back down again. An unreadable reaction. Barnes, Hokor said. We have a trade offer for Michael Kimberlin, right guard from the Jupiter Jacks. Michael Kimberlin? Quentin's eyes flashed to the holotank showing the player dressed in silver, gold, and copper. Kimberlin, an all-pro, a veteran, and one of the few non-key offensive linemen in the GFL. While the heavy G was probably in the final few years of his career, there was no question that Kimberlin could instantly solve the Kraken's offensive line problem. Probably solve it permanently. When Akhenata came back from injury, he wouldn't have a starting job waiting for him. This should have been good news, exciting news, but Quentin sensed a coldness in the room. Nothing from Greedock, of course, but Hokor seemed bothered, and Quentin picked up even more of that sadness from Pine. Kimberlin, Quentin said, knowing he had to ask the next question, knowing he would hate the answer. Who do the Jacks want for him? They need receivers, Hokor said. Scarborough and Denver. Quentin just stared. That was a ridiculous offer. Scarborough's my top receiver, and Denver, she's... she's our future. Quentin almost bit his tongue after he'd spoken her name. He had been about to say, she's my friend. That was his first thought. An alien, one of the satanic races. His friend. It's a good offer, Hokor said. Both teams prosper. The Jacks have a second-year right guard. They think he's going to give them ten seasons. That means they can afford to deal Kimberlin. But we can't afford to deal Scarborough, Quentin said. Like I said, she's my top receiver. Was our top receiver, Greedock said. Haywick is our number one now. Quentin felt his anger welling up. He fought to control it. Greedock, you know Haywick had that year because of double coverage on Scarborough. Okay, sure, now Haywick is our number one, but we can't win without Scarborough. Don leaned forward. You sure about that, Q? Yes, I'm sure. What about next year? Hokor said. Scarborough is getting old. This could be her final season of high production. Do we want to pass up a player like Kimberlin who will give us three, maybe even four seasons to hold on to a receiver whose best years have passed her by? Then what about Denver, coach? Quentin said. She's in her second year. She's the fastest receiver we've got. She's only going to get better in seasons to come. Seasons to come, Greedock said. Such an interesting phrase. Tell me, Barnes, how much benefit is that to the franchise if those seasons to come are back in Tier 2? Quentin shook his head. We're not going back. No way. I won't let it happen. Don reached out his hand, as if he was going to touch Quentin's shoulder, but he stopped himself and put the hand back on his knee. It can happen, Q, Don said. It can, 
And if our offensive line can't protect you, it will. Quentin felt his face getting hotter, redder. Were these jerks serious? Denver had played her heart out. The team adored her. Quentin had to control his anger. Talk reason here. So we trade our number two and our number four receivers, he said. And we get a right guard that will last only a few years? Long enough to find a better one, Greedock said. I am developing the best scouting agency in the galaxy. All we need to do is stay in tier one for this season, and I can give you a team of all-star talent. Quentin stood before he even knew he was doing it. We have a team with all-star talent. We are not going down to tier two. I object to this trade. Coach Hokor's black-striped yellow fur fluffed out, then settled back down. That's why we called you here, Barnes. Normally, we'd pull the trigger on a trade of this caliber, but these are two of your top receivers. The decision is yours. The words stunned him. It's, it's my decision? Don nodded. I told them they needed your take cue. You're the guy who has to deal with a weak offensive line. It's great to throw to Denver and Scarborough if you have time to throw, which you won't. At least not until Locke and Attack comes back off injured reserved. But he comes back in week four. Quentin, think, Don said. This is tier one. This is the promised land of football. Every game matters. A season is only 12 games. Lose the first three, it could already be too late. And you're forgetting something else here. Yeah, am I, Pine? What am I forgetting? Don leaned back. Now he was the one trying to control his patience. Aka Natak is a second-string player to begin with. How good do you think he is? When he comes back, is he good enough to protect you? Quentin stared at Don, stared and blinked. Quentin hadn't thought of that. Aka Natak was a second stringer. He was better than Shunan Wan, sure, but how much better? As usual, Don Pine, the veteran, the two-time Tier 1 champion, the former league MVP, was thinking several moves ahead. Quentin sat back down and let out a slow breath. Okay, Don. I'm listening. You tell me. If it was you, what would your call be? That sad look on Don's face again. It sucks, but I'd make the trade. You can't win if you spend half your game looking for your teeth. The office fell silent. They were waiting for him to decide. The future of two receivers hung on that decision. No, the future of two receivers, an all-pro lineman, and an entire franchise his other teammates, all those people in the administration offices. But most importantly, the future of Denver. She'd been on that landing deck with Quentin back in the Combine. They'd been rookies together, fighting to take the Krakens into Tier 1. She worshipped Quentin, literally worshipped him. If they made the trade, if he made the trade, what would that do to her? No, Quentin said finally. Scarborough is too valuable, and Denver just has too much upside. We can't make this trade. Coach Hokor leaned forward, yellow-furred pedipel pants pressed against the black desktop. Are you sure, Barnes? When you are lying on your back after your fifth or sixth sack of each game, will you be sure then? Quentin nodded. He'd taken beatings before. 
He'd just have to keep taking them for a little while longer. He could win with the offensive line he had. He knew he could. I'm sure, Quentin said. I promise you, we will not go 0-3. We had better not, Greedock said. All I can say is that if we leave this decision up to you and we go winless for the first three games, then the result is on you, Barnes, not on Hokor, on you. There was no way around it. His coach, his mentor, his owner, they all wanted to make this trade. If passing on it was the wrong call, they might never again trust him to make the smart decision. But smart or not, he knew he'd made the right decision. Quentin again stood. Is there anything else, coach? No, Holcor said. You may go. Quentin left the control room and headed for his quarters. He'd made the right decision, sure, but if they didn't win, did the right decision even matter? You have been listening to The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.